Welcome and thanks for joining our first episode of Canine Roll Call Podcast. I am Jason Ferguson and I'm here with your co-host, uh, Shana Parsnow. Um, we just wanted to take a minute and sort of talk about uh, this podcast and, and what we're wanting to bring to, uh, to the canine community that's a little different. Um, we want to make this uh, incredibly educational. It's going to be quite conversational, obviously, but uh, we want to we want to make sure that each of you listening has um, has a opportunity to really sort of take something away from it uh, that you can use in your day to day work uh, with your dog, depending on what type of dog you have. So, uh, Shana. <laughs> she's uh she's definitely uh into this that's for sure let's go shana all right so um today we're super excited about our uh guest i don't think you've been on you've not been on anybody else's podcast have you no sir no not yet so this is a first uh for a lot of folks here um so uh today we've got um retired lieutenant gary simpson uh, local sheriff's department here. He is uh, a bit of a legend here, at least on the East Coast, uh, in the uh, in the interdiction world and and working with dogs. Um, so, uh, Gary, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell uh, tell our readers why they should keep listening to you for the next <laughs> little bit. Oh man, uh, I'll uh, I'll pay people to uh, listen to me. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> that that'll draw cops in at least something for free or getting paid to do it or whatever here we go but uh but no man you uh great introduction i don't know about the legend status or whatever but uh um some of my old guys they pick on me about stuff like that but uh anyways um old guys i thought you were one of the yeah old i guys. am the old guy i guess i some of my older partners how about that are old yeah we are old we're old, we're old i guess they um but yeah lieutenant uh retired I like that retired aspect, but uh, served 30 years, uh, credible service, actually uh, right at 29 years, and, and um, 23 of criminal interdiction on the interstate. Interstate criminal enforcement, ICE, is what everybody kind of refers to it as, but 17 of those years, starting in April of 2006, uh, was with the canines. Worked two different dogs, worked a, a full patrol dog, and then, and I guess it was in 2013, uh, got Canine Abby from Highland Canine, trained by master trainer Jason Ferguson. <laughs> but man, it was totally the big thing about that is that went from a crazy nutcase Malinois to a Cadillac of a of a lab, <laughs> small. 42 pounds uh, at her heaviest and just narcotics detection only um, passive alert where she just stuck her nose to the closest source of the odor that she could and and just stood there I wasn't used to that I was used to trying to jerk a dog off of a car so we wouldn't be paying for a paint job if we didn't find narcotics inside you know so that was a huge adjustment for me as well and uh, but yeah Good stuff. So that's kind of my introduction, I guess, bud. Yeah, let's. <clears throat> you touched on that. I just want to talk about it for a second because you guys traditionally had dual dogs, even on, the, on patrol, and then and then all your interstate dogs were dual as well. That's right. Um, and um, it, 
sort of switched over to uh, to that single purpose dog, yeah. and, and it seems like that's becoming a bit of a trend. Um, the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because it's sort of, I think, a bit of an important point in that uh, it seemed like you and I talked about this years ago. You guys were spending a ton of time mm-hmm. uh, training for patrol activities, you know, track and bite work, recalls out, so that always gives folks trouble mm-hmm. uh, or or consistently seems to give people trouble. And you were spending all this time to uh, get a certification on a dog in a lot of areas you rarely, if ever, use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're, you're out there on the interstate. You're doing detection, 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 detection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sort of refocusing things. How, how did that make a difference? Well, it was huge because, you know, we could really, when I got Abby, we could really just focus on honing in on her craft, which was locating narcotics, uh, locating narcotics on the traffic stop. Um, you know, from a, from a time to time standpoint we would go and help our narcotics if we did a you know a search warrant on a house or um every now and then i would get called by um homeland security um, because she was donated to our sheriff's office from homeland security or by homeland security so from time to time we would go down and work the airport in the terminals doing interdiction there um doing the bus stops doing the uh the train station um so you know there were a few other aspects that we would do but but again, it was just narcotics and narcotics only. And I didn't have to worry about tracking. I didn't have to worry about the apprehension aspects of it, um, article searches. I, you know, we just focused on narcotics. And, you know, it's, it's really easy to make your dog a kind of a perfectionist, so to say, because that's the only thing you have to worry about. And I like that. I really did. I didn't have to do all the other aspects and didn't have to worry about preparing her for all the other aspects on the certifications, um, just narcotics and narcotics only. So I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, backing up on you just a second, you, uh, in my opinion, you shortchanged your, your background there a little <laughs> bit. So you, you've you been working interdiction a long time. Uh, it was primary focus of what you did. But, but not, not only that, you, you teach Right, you teach regularly, or did teach regularly at, at at conferences nationally. You guys traveled and taught other agencies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we uh, we went kind of all over the East Coast, and you know, even as far as when when immigration and customs enforcement became a thing. Uh, before that, it was just customs, and so they started they started a bulk cash smuggling initiative, is what it was labeled. So they took our agency, uh, which was already usually using customs as their primary source of um, when we would do our, our, our money um, distributions, we would use them to handle all of our seizures. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of agencies were just using DEA. Um, so they wanted to get, the, get it out there that, you know, hey, customs is on board with this as well. Let's let's get some of this, you know, some of this involved with um, our bulk cash smuggling initiative. Um, so they send us around um, to. I was in Colorado. I was in Denver, uh, Colorado. We did St. Louis, Missouri. We were in Florida. We were in New York. Just kind of all over the country, teaching the bulk cash smuggling initiative through interdiction. Um, I would teach uh, roadside interview. I would teach hidden compartments and traps, concealment vehicle 
um, aspects of it. Uh, just the whole canine portion of interdiction and, and how that revolves around the bulk cash smuggling initiative. So it was a lot of fun um, doing that. And then, you know, on top of that, I would, I would do some smaller classes around uh, train other agencies how to start up their interdiction program, um, how to get out there and work the interstates. Uh, again, I'm not a master trainer for canine, but we would teach the canine aspects as well as to how those dogs can help you in the performance of your duties. So did that for a long time and, uh, and then just kind of backed away from it a little bit as far as the teaching aspect because I was gone quite a bit. Um, my kids were getting to the age where they were more involved in things. So, I, I, you know, I wanted to, you know, stay closer to home instead of being gone, you know, throughout the week. And, uh, but now it's, you know, it's, I'm retired. So I'm, and the kids are grown. So I'm starting to pick back up a little more on the instruction aspect. Um, just went to uh, Dallas, Texas and taught at the National Interdiction Conference, the NIC. Uh, and that was a big deal. Um, and I taught the canine portion of, their training it was a breakout group but I would have like uh, you know 100 to 200 people uh, in each session and uh, so it was a lot of fun and I uh, taught it on canine and interdiction the use of the dog at the traffic stop so it was it was a good deal got a lot of positive feedback from it you talked about working with um, agencies to help them start uh, interdiction so for, for folks out there listening right now who who don't currently have an interdiction program or looking at doing it what uh what, what's the number one piece of advice uh, that you'd give them? Is to, to not police for profit. Um, you know, we get a lot of agencies that that's all they want. And, and of course, our agency, you know, our agencies out there, um, they like the funding. Um, you know, that's a no-brainer. But just don't make that your main objective. Um, you know, you're, you're out there as an interdiction officer looking at all the aspects of criminal activity. Uh, if money happens to come across that, because we all know that, that money funds, you know, these organizations, and that's what these organizations do, what they do, and why they do it. But, you know, we've come across terrorists. We've come across um, kidnappers. You know, we've come across murder suspects. So you have to handle all the aspects from the traffic stop. Um, you know, money is just a bonus. Um, if you're able to, you know, to seize large amounts, uh, the narcotics is a bonus, you know, pulling guns off the street. But those are all huge aspects, and and uh, that's what kind of kind of feeds these uh, interdiction teams out here. Yeah, what's the largest cash seizure you ever ran into? Um, for myself, personally, it was uh, 450000 uh, cash. It was concealed and hidden in a dash of a Ford Focus of all things. It was more money in the car than, you know, way more than what the car's worth. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, it, it filled the entire firewall and dash. Um, that one was off of I-40. But um, one of my old partners, uh, Chad Elliott, uh, uh, worked with me for a long time in Forsyth County, North Carolina, and then, of course, here in Iredale. North Carolina, but uh, he seized one that was right at 700000 cash um, out of a gas tank. Uh, so, you know, we were involved in that, and that was a big deal. So there's been quite a few um, of the six-figure seizures around here. Um, uh, in, in my career, um, you know, I think we're probably myself around 4.4, 4. 4.5 million in cash seizures alone just for myself. But, again, you know, 
we didn't revolve everything around the currency. It just, you know, if you run across it and you can link it to criminal activity, then you're good to go on, on your seizures. So, um, and you, I don't know if it still stands, you can correct me, but you, uh, you had a bit of a record there for a while as far <laughs> as, uh, seizures and passenger cars, right? Yep. Yep. Still hold, uh, still hold a few of those records, uh, with the largest being the, uh, the cocaine, which was 75 kilos in a passenger car. It was a uh, conversion van in the roof of the van. Yes, yeah, so 165 pounds of cocaine, uh, single occupant going up north, coming out of Atlanta, Georgia. And um, cold stop, not a whisper stop. It was a cold stop. So, you know, a lot of interdiction guys will, will get out here, and, and and there's nothing wrong with getting a, a, you know, a tip or a whisper stop or whatever, but – for the most part, the true interdiction guy, they like that cold stop where they do it on their own, stop the car on their own, find the dope, whatever, on their own. That's, you know, that's kind of what drives us out here. But, uh, but yeah, 75 kilos of cocaine is the largest. There's others, um, the heroin stop. There was a uh, meth stop uh, that were, you know, uh, pretty large. Um, ecstasy, nine kilos of MDMA, raw form of Molly, nine kilos. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of good stops over the years. So. That was a unusual setup, wasn't it? It was. It was. Um, you know, it was a false trap in a BMW. Uh, it was nine kilos uh, in the back wall. Um, the seat folded down. It was on pistons. Um, uh, the lady uh, was driving a third party car. She had her small child with her, uh, coming out of the Bronx, New York, going to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, the Mecca. The Mecca, yeah, the Mecca, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, uh, you know. Therefore, while Atlanta was the East Coast hub, I, you know, you would probably still say it is, but uh, but you know, a lot of narcotics funnel in and out of there. But uh, yeah, she had uh, nine kilos of MDMA and uh, a pound, pound and a half or two pounds of heroin, and then like twenty some thousand cash. It was kind of the whole gamut, you know, we got money and dope and a hydraulic trap on a BMW, uh, you know, and then two bodies, um, you know, felt sorry for the little girl. She wasn't, but like 10, 12 years old, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about big money seizures, big drug seizures. What is the, uh, what's the craziest stop and seizure? Ooh, <laughs> Can I talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. We there's been so many, a, a couple of them that come to mind. The, the one, you know, talking about uh, terrorism. It was back when the war was uh, uh, really full go, and uh, we were seeing, um, you know, you hear intelligence reports um, of money being funneled back to uh, to the terrorist organizations, um, Bin Laden and and their groups, um, but. Uh, Stopped a minivan southbound. Uh, it was a uh, single occupant um, from the Middle East. He uh, lived out of the Tampa, Florida area, and the entire minivan was full of stolen iPads. Um, and all those iPads were being shipped back over to the Middle East. Um, you know, and so it, it was something that. From, from everything that I heard uh, on the back end of the investigation was that all this was being used to funnel back over um, because they weren't able to get iPads over in the Middle East. So they were coming here, stealing them in the U.S., 
and then shipping them back over. Uh, it was a big deal. It was some some big terrorist organization that was working out of the Tampa, Florida area that, that the FBI had no idea that they were there. Uh, there was a group that we used called the Fusion Cell. Uh, it's kind of one of those little hidden, you know, federal intelligence groups that, that work with some of the interdiction teams around the country um, from traffic stops, uh, kind of unique, weird cases like this. But uh, the last I heard was that it, it ended up turning into a big deal. You know, I don't get all the details to it. but So that one was pretty memorable. What year was that? Uh, that was probably uh, 2010, maybe, somewhere there, 2010, 2011. I have to go back and look at the files, but then, you know, kind of a funny one <laughs> was um, stopped a car northbound, and uh, it was a female passenger in the back, and we had them all out of the car. We're searching the car, and she started, like, crossing her legs, and you could tell she was in pain, and I'm like, you know, does she have to pee? What's the deal? And uh, she started sweating really bad, and, uh, I, you know, I asked her, and one of my partners asked her, who used to be a paramedic, it was Dow Hawkins, he was like, are you okay? Do you need an ambulance? You know, like I can tell there's something wrong with you. And uh, did you swallow anything or have you stuffed something, you know, up your privates or whatever? And, and she reluctantly, she was like, yeah, I did. Uh, I, I did. I've got ecstasy up in me. So ended up, uh, we didn't think the ambulance would get there in time because we were way up in the North end of the County. And so Dow threw her in his patrol car, told our communications that he was transporting her to the ER she got down there, and she had a uh, a ball of ecstasy stuffed up in her privates that was probably the size of a softball. She actually had to have an episiotomy, and it had burst in her system, and, you know, she had poisoned herself to the point where they thought she was going to die. She actually stayed in the emergency room or in the hospital for like two or three days. That's what you call commitment. That was commitment yeah, right there. Commitment. That was commitment. <laughs> yeah. But we've had some crazy stuff, man. I, I've got another one that happened when I was over in Forsyth County that was that was crazy. And, and uh, that one that one took me off the road for a while. But, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a big deal. Yeah, you're running some crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah. Working interdiction. And, you know, I think something that a lot of people who who haven't, done it don't really understand is that that you know the actions and profiles of criminals is Mm -hmm. and you sort of alluded to it before is whether they're whether hauling drugs hauling money hauling guns um again ipads Mm -hmm. um those those activities look very much the same they do they very much the same so they're professionals at what they do so and they they try to perfect their skills like we do as law enforcement as canine handlers or whatever they're out there doing the same thing how has um, how has that game, you know, interdiction, particularly interdiction with a dog, how has that game changed over the the 50 years you've been doing it or ever how long it's been? You know, like we yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but, yeah, like, you know, like we talked about, <clears throat> a lot of agencies are going away from that aggressive alert dog to the passive alert dog. Um, you know, case laws have changed and evolved along the way. Um, which, you know, puts a lot of restrictions on us as interdiction officers. Um, time frames, you know, and and the way that we have to adapt. And, and it's constantly that cat and mouse game, you know. Um, you know, we feel like we have an advantage, um, and, and, we, and we use that to our favor. <clears throat> but then a case law will change something, and then the bad guy has the advantage. And we have to adapt. 
you know, to the ever-growing changes of interdiction and then with the use of canine in interdiction. So there's, there's always a change. Uh, you know, I can remember when the Illinois versus Cabela's came out. That basically developed the free air sniff where, you know, where it says, okay, um, you walk the dog during the course of the stop and you, it's just a free air sniff. You know, so everybody was afraid that that was going to destroy canine. So we were able to adapt, and we got by that. And then, you know, just a few years ago, um, Rodriguez came out. And, you know, again, <clears throat> you know, we have those time constraints to where we have to utilize that canine so we don't delay that stop. So, so there have been changes along the way that, that canine officers have to adapt. Now, it's different if you're a handler and you're just getting into the game. You don't, you know, you don't know any different. Whereas when I first started, you know, we had a lot more leeway on things we could do, and now we're just, you know, um, we're just kind of cuffed on certain ways that we have to do things. But, but we adapt. We always adapt. You know, we're, we're, we're law enforcement. We're going we're gonna to adapt to the changes that take place. And with the way things are these days for us, uh, we're always going to – I feel like there's going to be um, changes more frequently, so to say, um, uh, with the way society is going. And with some of the court's decisions. <laughs> That's right. With some of the decisions. Just, some That's of them have been pretty wacky. That's right. Yeah. So, so we're going to have to – change more I, I feel like but uh, but yeah over the years there's been a lot of changes man that we've had to deal with uh with the use of a dog on the traffic stops uh, and especially with interdiction so when you when you first started um what would you have said if somebody said yeah well uh there's gonna come a time when dogs won't be able to find marijuana anymore oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's still kind of crazy um you know and there's so much <clears throat> there's so much controversy still you know, surrounding that, um, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we're out here and, and we're stopping people that have cocaine, but yet they also have marijuana, you know? So, you know, so if you use the dog on the car and there's marijuana in the car or, I mean, like, where does it stop? You know, I mean, it, it gets confusing. Like, I get questions asked about that all the time. You know, are y'all training your Us dogs? Too. Yeah, are you trying? I'm sure you guys do. Um, are you training your dogs on marijuana? Well, marijuana is still illegal, you know, like it's not legal. And all the different states yeah, are different. Yeah, and all and the states are different. But <clears throat> a good good topic here, Jason, you know, to talk about because when I was out in Dallas a couple weeks ago teaching the conference, uh, there was a, an attorney out there, and uh, he's a good, good guy attorney, you know. And so he and I were talking. And we talked about the marijuana aspect of things. And he says, well, you know, if you think about it, <clears throat> I, I would still continue to train dogs for marijuana. He's like, even in the states where it's legal, you can only possess a certain amount. So who's to say that, you know, that this dog is not indicating on 50 pounds, you know, you open the car and yeah, you only find a half an ounce, but then you just don't charge them. You know, and, you know, and this came from an attorney and I, you know, I sat back and I'm, I'm trying to look at both, both ends of the spectrum 
you know, not a trainer, but I'm still trying to look at it as that point of out here if you're, you know, trying to, you know, train dogs and sell dogs or whatever. Um, and, and I'm thinking, well, you know, he raises a really good point because in most of these states, you can't possess more than an ounce of personal marijuana, you know. But again, if the dog indicates to the car, you don't know if it's an ounce or you don't know if it's 50 pounds. Um, yeah, they so, don't, they don't so necessarily have a scale, do they, they? That's right. The dog doesn't have the scale. The dog just has a nose, and, and he smells it, and he says, hey, okay, here we go. Um, my toy's in this car. I don't know how big my toy is, but my toy's in the car, you know? So he, he was like, yeah, you know, continue to train these dogs on marijuana because marijuana is still illegal up to a certain amount in these states. And you know, it just raised, a, you know, a good topic, I felt like. Uh, you know, to discuss and talk about, like, where do you stop? You know, like, you know, if you if you stop the car and, and the guy's got personal marijuana, but then he's also got cocaine, okay, yeah, we know this dog's not trained on marijuana, but now, you know, he's been exposed to it. With reinforcement. With, With reinforcement, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, like, where does it stop and what? I, I, that's a master trainer. Well, that's, you know, I've been saying for a long time that, you know, it, this this – really started when certain states began to just push to legalize it or decriminalize it or whatever the state was doing. You know, and people were just absolutely losing their minds. We were getting phone calls. Shane, I know you were getting a lot of calls about. People were uh, asking me, you know, they're, they're like, hey, what is what are people in my state doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I don't have a straight answer because yeah. there's a lot of different people doing different things. Mm-hmm. You know, they're scared to train, on, train the dogs, these brand-new dogs on marijuana, and they've got, you know, eight to 10 working years left, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of them aren't doing it. I mean, it, it, it is something that can be implemented after if mm-hmm. need be. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I mean, we aren't training the dogs on marijuana unless they're sold. And the department tells me ask for this it. is yeah. what we want. Yeah. 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 But we had people, you know, <clears throat> point I was going to make was people who had dogs who existed in those States mm-hmm. yeah. who were already trained on marijuana. And they're like, Oh my goodness. Well, you know, we got to, as law enforcement often does, get initial rid of freak out, right? <laughs> we right. got to get rid of everything. We got to retire them. We got to do this. Big we got to do Virginia. that. Yeah, it was, it, you know, it's it, it really scrambled some people's eggs. Yeah. Um, you know, but as you as you mentioned, you know, federally, mm-hmm. it's still a scheduled substance. That's right. Right? It's still illegal. No, that's number one. That was argument number one for me. Number two, again, in, in those states where it's medicinal, decriminalized, mm-hmm. whatever the case, civil, even civil in some states. You know, again, there's always a threshold. Mm-hmm. Right? You, in no state are they going to allow you to have uh, a tractor-trailer load of marijuana. That's right. Right? So, uh, you know, and again, as you said, you know, as far as we understand now, dogs can't really tell the difference if it's if it's two pounds or 200. That's right. Or two ounces or two pounds, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it does make a difference. And, and, you know, again, I'm sure you can – you can attest to this from your experience. Most drug smugglers don't have exclusivity agreements. Nope. You know, they don't just deal in heroin or right. just deal in <clears throat> yeah, it's whatever gang. they're making the money on. Yeah, and and oftentimes it's a combination mm-hmm. uh, of 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 things. You know, whatever they can end up pushing and making money on. So, um, yeah, that creates a lot of a lot of conflict in the industry. So, um, we're going to take a quick break right there. Um, stay tuned for our sponsors. Uh, don't skip them and (laughs) we'll be back and, uh, continue this conversation with, uh, Lieutenant Simpson.
Royal Canin delivers precise nutritional solutions so your dog can perform at their very best level. The individual health of every dog is as unique as they are. However, these health needs are often characteristic of their size, breed, or lifestyle. Each individual recipe is formulated to deliver the exact level of natural antioxidants, vitamins, fiber, prebiotics, and minerals that are essential to your pet's unique health needs. Discover how Royal Canin products can help every pet enjoy its best health possible. To achieve a perfect balance of nutrients for each dog, they rely on an extensive network of canine experts across the globe, including veterinarians, universities, dog professionals, and their own research and development center in France. Royal Canin helps your dogs train and perform at their full potential. To learn more about Royal Canin, visit them on the web at royalcanin.com. Highland Canine Training offers affordable and proven dog training solutions to resolve even the most difficult of dog problems. Founded in 2006, Highland Canine Training also offers quality working dogs to meet the increasingly demanding requirements of today's military and law enforcement agencies. In addition, they offer first-class canine education programs at their school for dog trainers. So far, they've hosted students from over 30 different countries. The School for Dog Trainers offers affordable financing and accepts GI Bill and VA benefits. The Service Dog Training Division at Highland Canine Training develops and trains some of the best service dogs in the industry and offers worldwide delivery. Their commitment to customer service and support continues to set them apart from the competition and makes them a leader in the industry. Visit HighlandCanine.com or call 866-200-2207 to learn more and see the difference. Thanks for staying with us, and we're back with, yes. uh, again, retired Lieutenant Gary Sampson here. Um, so, before the break, we were talking about marijuana a little bit. I want to sort of switch gears here and um, talk a little bit about something that uh, seems to uh, create a little anxiety for people, and that's testifying in court. Uh, <laughs> I, had a, I had a guy... Yeah. Um, I won't mention his name, but I had a guy, we, we used to go to court, uh, local district court every month. And then, you know, we had other court dates for, for different things throughout the month. But we had a set date every month uh, for court, and uh, me and this guy had the same court date. He worked with me in, in, in Vice, and uh, he he would get so damn nervous <laughs> about going to court <laughs> and testifying that I would have to drive him. So so we that worked would be in something the, I would do. <laughs> sure. we, we worked in the city and we had to go to court in the county for for mm-hmm. district superior and uh, so it was like a 20 minute drive for us and he he would have to sit in my passenger seat and meditate or whatever the hell he's doing over there to to get his to get his head right and get his nerves straight so that he could make it through uh, a day cuz you know we went to we went to district, honestly, man. We'd we'd roll in forty, fifty cases deep. Yeah. Uh, street level drug stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. Prostitution, shit like that. But uh, yeah, he would uh, he'd sit over there. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. I've uh, seen him do that I've, every month, yeah. right? He yeah. had so much anxiety about court, and and you know, I I loved it. Um, it was to to me, it was just this challenge. It's of fun. Who's it going to win? Challenge. That's yeah. It. Who's going to win? It. Right? Yeah. Because um, at the end of the day. What I knew was, at the end of the day, you know, I did my job. That's right. The person got convicted or they walked. Yeah. I knew where I was going at the end of the day, so it didn't really matter to me. I was getting, you know, I was getting paid. I wanted to do the best job I could, but the reality of it is, 
you know, as you the officer, some, yeah. you can only take it so That's far, right? right? right. So, um, talk talk a little bit about it. You've you've, you've been to um, local courts, right? You've been to state courts. You've been to federal court, right? Yep. And federal court's the one that seems to freak everybody out. They're yeah. like, "Oh my God, I got to go to federal court." And um, you know, I've I've been to both, and 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 I think people when they get to federal court might be a little surprised. Yeah. Well, I think the first time. I testified in federal court when I walked into the courthouse and I'm in uniform, but I had to surrender my weapon <laughs> You know, as you go in the court doors. I'm like, whoa, I'm a cop. This is different. Yeah, this is different. <laughs> you know, so that was one thing that, you know, that kind of freaked me. I wasn't used to, but, you know, I've never had an issue with testifying. I've always been, you know, pretty confident about my case. I can, you know, stand up in front of people. I don't really, you know, get too nervous about things like that. But be nice. Yeah, <laughs> and, but again, some people just can't do that stuff. Okay. Um, a funny story about <clears throat> court and law enforcement uh, doing the interdiction side of things. So in one of my blocks of instruction, I would talk to cops about how they feel right before they're getting ready to testify. How you can almost, you know, you're sweating so bad under your armpits, you could grow fish under your arms. Like you're sweating. Like, yeah, like there's so much water there. <laughs> or they get so nervous. I call it the crack smack. You know, that they're, you know, there's no moisture in their mouth because all their moisture is now in their armpits where they're growing fish. Okay. Mm-hmm. So cops experience this. You can see, you can see cops in court and they're just armpit sweat. You know, for days, thousand yard gap there. Yeah, yeah, you're like, holy crap! Look We've how much sweat. Court during Andler school. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I had a partner years ago that used to take a half a roll of toilet paper and put under his armpit, oh, no. under his uniform, just so he wouldn't have those pit sweat <laughs> or pit stains, is what I call them, when he'd go to court. So I would use that same analogy to cops when I would teach about interdiction and tell them, look at the nervousness. This is doing understanding human behavior aspect. Look at the nervousness. Look at the sweat. Listen to the crack smack. Think about yourself, how nervous you are right before you're getting ready to testify. And now this guy's transporting illegal narcotics or whatever it may be. Imagine how nervous he is and how stressed out he is. So I would use that, that analogy right there for officers going to court as opposed to on the traffic stop. And, but it's funny that you talked about that, how nervous your buddy would get, you know. But, uh, but yeah, to go back to, you know, different courts, federal courts, totally different. Um, but it is laid back. You know, there's no galley. There's, you know, there's, there's no spectators, so to say, in the court. It's, it's kind of closed. Uh, it's only the court personnel that are in there, a couple officers or whatever. And, like, if it's a companion case, like if, uh, like if you're the officer uh, – on the stop with me. So you, you utilize your canine on my traffic stop. You're not even in there with me. You're sequestered. Like you can't hear my testimony. And uh, so it, it is different. It's unique. Um, but it is, it, and they're serious in there. There's a lot of fun just to experience that. And um, But you know when you're in federal court that somebody's about to go to prison for a long time. There's, they don't joke around in there. And uh, But it is fun. Just you got to have everything in line you got to have your case file in line your you know your training records in line and i know we want to touch on training records and and stuff about courts but uh but yeah it, it is different than state yeah do you, but where do you see yourself in regards to 
uh, overall preparation for federal court as far as communication with your AUSAs versus DAs, that sort of stuff prior to, and and how does that sort of impact um, what you're doing there? So I will say they, you know, on some on some superior court cases, you know, they do some some prep work or whatever, but on the federal level, um, if you don't have your I's dotted and your T's crossed, it doesn't go to court. Like, the, like there's so much prep. Uh, there's so much prep for them before they even accept it. Like, it has to meet so many criterias. You know, like, they – it. I mean, they don't want to go in there with something that's potentially watered down. Uh, like, it's it's got to be good. Airtight. That's right. It, they want it airtight. And, and you will meet with them. You will talk to them. Um, you know, I would have to drive down to Charlotte – uh, three, four times before a big case, or or they would come up to us in Statesville and and sit down and talk. This was when you know Gretchen Shepard was running things down at the um, U.S. Attorney's Office in Charlotte, and and uh, but but again, um, it it is a lot, um, but you have to be airtight, and you have to be prepared. Yeah, my what I've sort of experienced is is those um, prosecutors at the federal level, oftentimes are more familiar mm-hmm. with uh, canine-related activities, yeah. traffic stops, how handlers work dogs, how dogs work, yeah, they, uh, more so than those at the local level. They are. You know, and again, and I know on the local level, I'm not trying to slam them or anything, but they do handle a lot of stuff. You know, it's more like a revolving door. Oh, yeah. they got, they got, And that's what I tell handlers a lot of times. You know, you as the handler need to be prepared, mm-hmm. right? You need to be in a position mm-hmm. to to sort of run your own case because on a local right. level, you know those those DAs, at, they're they're probably doing uh, fifty DWIs mm-hmm. and and two hundred domestic cases for every canine related case. Right. That's right. So you know they're not going home at night spending their time trying to study up on canine case law right. and canine related stuff. And and I think a lot on the on the local level on the state type cases is your reputation as an officer um, because these these young attorneys coming up or even you know some of the attorneys that have been around for a long time they know they know what you do they know the type of paperwork that you submit they know the type of reports that you write they know how you testify in court um, so if they see that you're there okay they see that they're handling a client that has a case with you a lot of times, you know, it'll get dismissed or, you know, they'll, they'll enter a plea or whatever because, again, they don't have time because they've got 200 other cases that are ongoing. And they're like, hey, you know, you probably ought to accept this, this plea right here because this, this officer, he's got his ducks in a row. Like he, he comes prepared. But now on the federal level, you know, it's a little bit different. You, they'll start out with a suppression uh, and usually it starts with a suppression on the stop, like why you were stopped. And these attorneys are getting paid a lot of money. And usually they're funded by cartels, okay, or, or lo- large drug trafficking organizations. And they may only want one, one bit of information. Funny story, I'm sitting there on, on the stand, and this high-paid attorney come up out of Texas. Uh, it was on a, on a large drug case come up out of Texas, and the only question I was asked was, do you have any prior knowledge 
of this vehicle coming through with narcotics? And I said, no, no further questions. That was all. He, he was paid. There's no telling. He's probably got paid $10,000, $12,000 just to come up and ask that one question. To see if it was a whisper stuff. To see if it was a whisper. To see if there was a leak somewhere in the drug trafficking organization. And that's all the DTOs want to know. They don't care about that, that you know, 15 kilos of cocaine. That's nothing to them. It's gone anyway. Yeah, that's huge to me. Wow. That's huge for press around here. But, but that's nothing to them, okay? You know, they waste 15 pounds of cocaine or 15 kilos of cocaine daily on their presses. You know, that's like the residue. They sweep it off into a little bucket or something. That's what, you know? that's what <laughs> goes in the dustpan. Yeah, that yeah. goes in the dustpan. So, but that's the only thing that they want to know, okay? After that, it was done. Entered a plea. Plea and done. Yeah, he, 20 years in prison. You know, but they don't care about that guy. They just want to know if there was a leak within the organization. So you get that a lot, you know. But then, but then again, you get those that like really challenge you. They're they're really trying to earn their money, um, and uh, you know it's um, it's the unknown. Like you know, you, you stop someone in a trap vehicle. It's not their car. Uh, you know, their buddy pays them a thousand bucks to transport the car down to Georgia, wherever it may be. And we stop them, and you know they've got. 50 kilos of cocaine or whatever, and uh, I had no idea that was there. Like, this is not my car, okay? And you've got them charged with two counts of trafficking, you know, possession and transport, and they're trying to say, well, we had no idea. You know, that's – so – and it's tough for it's, – it's tough for the feds to approve that. Okay, yeah, are these guys legit? Like, like what's the deal, you know? Yeah, trying to create that nexus. That's right. Sometimes can yeah. be – so for us as the officers, uh, you know, we, we have to do our digging as well through our federal resources. And hopefully, we're, you know, we're crossing our fingers that, that these guys have been seen uh, at a surveillance point from DEA or HSI, whatever it may be. Or they've got local drug charges, you know, for cocaine or heroin or, or some type of hard drug other than just like a simple possession of a marijuana. You know, they, we can link them back to some type of drug nexus. You know, so that'll secure your case. But if you don't have that and these cartels look for these individuals that are clean, you know, and say, hey, man, here, um, I'm giving you a thousand bucks to transport this car up here. Take off, you know. Um, so it's hard. Federal court's tough, man. But you, you have to have everything documented. You have to do your research. It is a different beast. It really is. Yeah. So seems like, too, that. People can get really nervous going to court if they don't feel like they're prepared. Prepared, right? Yeah, seems like big. that preparation's mm-hmm. really, really key. And it seems like sometimes people struggle mm-hmm. a bit with, um, "Am I prepared enough? Mm-hmm. And what do I need to do different? What you know uh, can I do better to make sure that I can go in there and have the confidence that I need?" Um, to, to finish this case through. Because, you know, getting the drugs off the street, arresting those people, those that's interdiction stops, that's the first half, right? Yeah, yeah that's one thing. Yeah, the, 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 the preparation, the record keeping, mm-hmm. all that's the second half. Yeah, and, and you know, we'll, we'll touch on record keeping. You know, we've kind of bounced around it a little bit. I had a, a federal court case where they talked about training records. Um, and, and I spoke on this, uh, had a, you know, pretty lengthy part in my lesson plan where we talked about training records the good and the bad it, it needs to be in there uh you know and i really really harped on the fact of if you get out here on a traffic stop 
you can't be lazy or you can't think that, hey, you know, your dog's not good because, you, you know, you missed. You know, you just walked by a car and there was no alert. You went on consent and you found narcotics in the car. Like, dogs have bad days, but you can't skip your training records or your utilization records just because your dog had a bad day. Like, you have to enter that. You know, and I, and I try to explain to to the individuals in the class as you have bad days as an officer yourself, you know, um, things happen in your daily life. Uh, you have distractions, you have things that take you off of your a game. Do we need to be on our a game every day? We're out there in the, in the uniform working, of course, you know, but dogs can have bad days just like humans can have bad days. Dogs can wake up, not feeling good. Dogs can wake up with sinus issues or, or whatever, just like we can with colds or what, you know, like our nose doesn't work as well some days as it does others. And so I try to try to explain to to officers that you have to have the good and the bad. It can't all be good. Like these dogs are not perfect. And nobody's going to believe that they are. That's right. That's right. And I, I, I read an article years ago, years ago, and uh, it was for a court prep. Uh, I was preparing for a federal court case. I can't remember which one it was, but... There was a, a statistic out there that about canines and the percentage of times that they are right. And it was like a staggering. It was like 53% or something like that, that the courts have understood that if a dog's right 53% of the time, it's, it's still good. Like your dog doesn't have to be 100% correct 100% of the time. The courts have have realized that they can make mistakes. Yeah, because the dog's giving us probable cause. And probable right. cause is what? That's right. A fair a probability. Fair probability. Right? That's right. So, yeah, we, we get people who get hung up on the 100% certainty yeah, 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 yeah. rule that they create in their own mind yep. when the courts have a much lower standard. That's right. That's right. right. Much, much lower standard. That's right. And, 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 and again, it's there's case law out there that shows that these dogs can make mistakes. 53% accuracy, and I don't remember that case, uh, the name of it, but I, I know what you're talking about. It was it was in that 50 range where the yeah, courts have upheld it. But about that article at some yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. And then, but there have, been, there have been cases where dogs had a much higher. That's right. Right, much higher reliability level that the court said no. No. Right, so, um, and, and in that particular case, they had no training records to That's back right. up. Yeah. It was only a certification. Yeah. Right? You, it came you, out of. Came out of the West Coast. But. And I know the standards. You know, you have your basic standards, the 16 hours a month, the four hours a day, the yearly certification or whatever. That's all great. You know, that's a suggestion. You you need to have that. If you do more, that's even better. Um, but they're just saying that's the minimum. That's, that's what's required or that they want you to have. Um, but, again, going back to the training records, if you don't – if you don't put the good and the bad in there, you're shortchanging yourself – and your dog, like I, I don't, I don't feel like I could submit my training records and my dog look like it's one hundred percent perfect, and and the courts look at me and think, hey, this guy's stand up, like you know, I, I feel like they know that these dogs are not perfect, yet my training records show that my dog's perfect. So I, you know, I try to get across to individuals that just because your dog, you know passed this car and didn't indicate and then you went on consent and you found dope in there don't skip over entering that in your utilization 
If you're at training and your dog passes a car and it doesn't indicate, don't not put that in your training. Document it. Document document the screw up. But document it. But then document the correction. How did you fix it? How did we fix it? Right. Because what right. we find a lot of times in, in, in looking at it and, and you know, nobody wants to hear it. Um, you talk about dogs having a bad day, they do. Mm-hmm. I, I won't I won't deny that. Do they screw up? Yep, won't deny that one either. What do we find 90% of the problem is? Handler the issue. Handler <laughs> yeah. issue. Yeah. So, so document that as well. Hey, right. I, I screwed this shit That's up. Right. I jerked my leash. Or and I did that. Or, yeah. Yeah. Here's, how I'm, here's how I'm fixing That's it right. moving forward. That's right. right. So problem, solution. Mm-hmm. Problem, solution is yeah. always important. And just like just like training, you and I, you, you kind of uh, – Worked on my lesson plan with me a little bit, my newest lesson plan, and and uh, we you know brushed up some things and polished some things up. But we we talked about the issue of a dog always indicating on the same, say gas cap lid, okay, and ev- yeah, it's classic, yeah, or the same passenger side door handle. door handles, man, yeah, big problem. Yeah, it, it is one of the biggest problems we have. For sure. And, well, you know, come to us with. You know, and we talk about, okay, is it residual odor? You know, did the guy just roll a big fatty and, and now he handled his door handle or, or, you know, got out of the car and he had a little fat sack of weed. He just rolled something or he just put a little cocaine up his nose from his pinky or whatever. We don't know. And he handled his gas cap. However, I don't think that would be the case on every single car you stop. So we talked about the training aspect of it. If you know you have a dog, and you know you put that dog on any car and he's going to indicate on the same place, that's a training issue. Absolutely. You know? You have a problem. You have a problem. And you, as the handler, have to fix that. Again, I'm not a master trainer, but that's just common sense. That's common sense. If you know, recognize it and recognize it quickly and fix it. And document but have a plan to fix it. That's right. right? You got to have a plan. Go to your master trainer. That's what they're for. Have some sort of plan to fix it. You know, mm-hmm. we see these issues a lot. And um, unfortunately, over the years, what we've seen, and, you know, this is how it was when I got into got into handling police dogs, was, you know, you ran into an issue and, you know, there's no clear plan to fix it. Mm-hmm. So you go out and you just ad hoc sort of try a couple things and that doesn't really work and so then you talk to your buddies and he says yeah i saw this issue with that dog and here's how they fix that mm-hmm. so you go back and it's all this trial and error um and no real plan and the trial and error may or may not end up fixing that issue sometimes making it worse making it worse sometimes yeah. it makes it worse but sometimes it creates six other issues mm-hmm. that you now have to fix because you're you know you're 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 utilizing this sort of trial and error, guessing game of what the problem is and what the solution is instead of taking the time, stop, have a clear plan. You know, that's one of the biggest things that I, I really stress to, to folks in training sessions. You know, when, you, when you're out training and you have a problem, mm-hmm. nothing says you have to fix it right this second. Nope. Stop. stop. Take a breath. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Breathe. Yeah. Put the dog up. Mm-hmm. Understand what your problem is. Create a solution for it. Go back and fix it. That's right. Make sure it's in your records up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the big thing is document, document, document. You can't say that word enough when it comes to not only training records, but also your utilization records. And talking about utilization, since we're on the record aspect of things, you'll see guys that will get their dog out. uh, They'll walk their dog for the free air sniff. They'll put their dog up, make a, you know, uh, a search of the car, and they find a, 
say they find a uh, small bag of cocaine and they go back and um, they write their report and it might be a one-liner. Literally. Literally Literally a one-liner. And and I say that because in the past I've been – I've been uh, contacted by people, long story short, these folks reach out to me, want me to come in and testify Mm -hmm. as to what a dog did or didn't do or could or couldn't do. And um, these folks are defense attorneys Mm -hmm. trying to get some shit bag off the hook. And, uh, you know, I always say, hey, look, you know, I don't don't know if I can help you, but I can at least look at it. Mm -hmm. You know, send me what you got. That's right. And... uh, I'm not helping these assholes. So, you know, <laughs> and they'll never send me anything again after this no. podcast goes live. But that's okay. Yeah, we have but a win. In, yeah. in the, you know, in they'll the, send it to Shane. I know. Yeah, yeah, send it to Shane. <laughs> in the past, they've sent me this stuff, and and you know, I look at it, and I've had major cases sent to me. I mean, these are huge cases mm-hmm. that the canine record is. I say one line. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe not even that. Yep. Yeah, one yeah. line starts with a capital letter, yeah. and a sentence starts with a capital yeah. letter and punctuation. This didn't even have that. Yeah, you know? walked my dog. He alerted, put him up, and found That's the dope. end of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand why officers I do that to themselves. I genuinely think that there is a lack of knowledge from green mm-hmm. handlers, mm-hmm. and there's not enough accessible knowledge out there for them. That's right. You know, I mean, somebody at the department. You know, a vendor, mm-hmm. an instructor of some kind, they need to, you know, seek help, especially yeah. when they're green and getting brand new dogs. Yeah. And this is one of the, you know, this is one of the topics that we get the most questions about. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this. School, for sure. Yeah. This was this old, old, old school mentality years ago. Less is more. Less is more, right? If yes. You don't, if you don't write it I in remember there. remember that. Right? Don't, don't put it in there because they can pick it apart. That's right. Well, my argument's always been if you leave it out mm-hmm. it just, then there's more to pick apart well it just gives a big gap for the <laughs> defense does. attorney to paint whatever picture they want that's right right so that's right. because you don't have it documented the other thing is is, is a lot of these cases that are being sent to me are mm-hmm. uh, you know the incident occurred three years ago mm-hmm. you've got a one-liner record mm-hmm. and you're going to go in and testify to that three years later i know um that seems like mission yeah. impossible. Yeah. You know, and and I try I try to tell I try to tell guys that, you know, and girls that come through the class is, you know, the more you put I mean, you you have to be descriptive, you know, just like you're the case officer because you may be the main part of the case that's, you know, that they're that they're trying to challenge. Okay, well, we, we got on suppression. We got by the traffic stop. Well, now let's challenge this canine because this canine is the one that got us in the car. In the car, yeah. Okay, so he's got a one-liner. Doesn't tell where the dog indicated. Doesn't tell how the dog's behavior became as he got into the odor or what have you. You know, like I like to describe what I see when I pull up on the scene, you know, Um you know, when I pull up, I'll, I'll use Shana, for example. Shana's the case officer. She's got the car stopped. Hey, you know, pulled up behind, uh, uh, you know, Sergeant Shana. We'll use that. Sergeant Shana. Uh, she's on a car stop. As I pull up, I see that Sergeant Shana has a, a, a white male individual standing beside her door. Um, I exited with my canine, um, made my way up on the right passenger side, uh, I observed that there was another individual within the vehicle. 
Um, I didn't say, you know, anything to the driver standing beside Sergeant Shana's door or the individual in the car. Went to the front of the vehicle, stood there for approximately five seconds, and then I just started a free air sniff just walking around the exterior of the vehicle. Um, as I approached the rear trunk area, my canine stopped. Uh, tail became stiff. Um, head was going side to side. Breathing changes. Breathing cha- Yeah, like I'm very descriptive because I'm also writing a statement for this case. Like, you know, it's like, all important stuff. Yeah, it's all important. Like, you have to document how important this is uh, and don't shortchange yourself or your dog or your partner because your partner is the actual case officer. So if you shortchange that and you're the one, the second part of the suppression up there and, you know, they throw your canine indication out, then that throws your partner's case out. Dead in the water. Dead in the water. Do you think that partner's going to want to use you for a dog anymore? No, because you're not writing good reports. Yeah, you know. and, you know, it's, it's little things. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of exercises in our handler schools, and we've done some seminars, and um, not as many as we'd like to, uh, just because we don't see the participation. Right, As right. far as, like, mock court, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get people prepped for uh, testifying in court and, and, and learning how they can improve, those sorts of things. We oh, don't, I'm good in court. I don't need this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah nobody wants to look like a, <laughs> nobody wants to look like an ass in front yeah, of everybody yeah, yeah. else. You know, that's what it is. But, uh, you know, little things. You know, which which direction was a – and I trip them up on this a lot. I oftentimes play the defense attorney in these mock mm-hmm. court things, and um, they they – they hate me pretty good when we're done. And <laughs> we, go, we, go, we go, go to dinner, drink a beer, and everybody's good the next day. But, uh, you know, it's little things. Which which direction was a car parked? Mm-hmm. Which way was the wind blowing? Mm-hmm. How, does that, how does that impact that odor picture for this dog? Mm-hmm. Because if you're telling me your dog alerted on the trunk mm-hmm. and the wind's blowing from the trunk toward the front of the car mm-hmm. and there was 300 kilos, you know, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the engine compartment, that's going to be a problem. That's right. You know, and, and these defense attorneys are getting smarter, mm-hmm. and they're figuring this stuff out. They're talking to people who have been in the industry. It's pretty clear because yep. their information is, I'd say, probably not 100%, but uh, it's getting a little closer to the bullseye. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from the standpoint of the law enforcement community, particularly canine handlers, we, in my opinion, we need to do a much better job yes. of record-keeping practicing our uh, courtroom testimony, looking at courtroom prep. Um, you know, we, we deal with guys sometimes who, um, we had that one handler from the Midwest. He'd been an officer, I think, seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. He'd never testified in court before. Never. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Never. Yeah. Um, for one reason or another, you know, and, and for those those people who might be in a similar position who've never been called to testify – to think that it's never going to happen. Yeah, eventually it will. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. And you better be ready. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> yep. I can remember when the Rodriguez case came out a few years ago. I was one of the first ones challenged here in Iredale County over that. I was sitting right beside my partner at the time, Michael Hicks. And uh, when he pulled out after the car, and I said, well, that, that one looked pretty good. I'm going to I'm gonna just go ahead and ease on up here. You know, I felt like. You know, he was going to ask for a dog or whatever. So I just went ahead and eased on up there and uh, probably wasn't a minute behind him. He had just gotten the guy out of the car 
and got him back to his passenger side and was talking to him when I pulled up on the scene. And I just immediately got my dog out and just walked the dog around the car. Wasn't even requested. And they challenged Rodriguez for delaying the stop. And I'm like, how, how is that delaying the stop? <laughs> like, um, he just got him out of the car. He was just starting the records check on the individual. Hadn't even started the citation process. But yet they're already trying to challenge that, you know. So imagine if you're not prepared. You know, if if you don't have good training records, or if you're not if you're not familiar with these case laws, and that's another thing is be familiar with these case laws because a lot of your local district attorneys are not familiar. It's our job as the canine officer, as the officer, period, to give them the knowledge that they need on these cases. Again, they don't have time to sit there and research all these case laws that are out there. And they'll ask you, they'll be like, so why did you do this? Well, this case law says we can't. Well, bring me a copy of that. I want to I read that. I want to have that with me for when we're challenged, okay, in case, that's a, in case it is an issue. So it's up to us to be familiar and to also be informative to our district attorneys who are handling our cases. Yeah, and you don't need to be a prosecutor. No, Nobody's no. asking that. But, no. And I, I don't know if, you know, it's been a while since I was in the game, but, you know, years ago, this was a easy one. Um, this was easy pickings for some of these maybe less scrupulous defense attorneys. You know, traffic stops particularly. Um, you know, dog responds to the car, and uh, that's probable cause to search it. So, Move forward with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Case from the defense attorney, their first question was, so, or statement was, so, Lieutenant Simpson, you're saying you searched my car, my client's car, without a search warrant. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Mm-hmm. You know, and if your answer is yes, to a jury of 12 people, mm-hmm. right? And let's look at what juries are. Jury of 12 yep. people. That's 12 people who wasn't smart enough to get out of jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. They're, they're sitting there thinking, oh, my God. Yeah. He didn't have a search he warrant. He didn't have a search warrant. Yeah. Right? Do you need a search warrant? Nope. Not in the state of North Carolina, you don't. Mm-mm. Right? And and that, But a lot of a lot of handlers don't know what mm-hmm. case tells us, and that thing's been around since 1925, yep. uh, Prohibition era case, that, you know, we don't need a search warrant to search a vehicle. Right? <coughs> they don't – they're not able to just – Come back real quick with that automobile exception, yep. and and now the defense attorney looks like a champ, mm-hmm. um, you know. And the reality is, you didn't need it, and they're just making you look stupid. That's right, right? Because they either need to make you look like a liar or look like you're stupid, mm-hmm. and 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 their winning. job's done. Yep. Yeah. And then you're mad at them because you think they're a prick and they're just doing <laughs> yeah. their earning their money. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that attorney <laughs> trying to get their paycheck. Yeah, I hate that attorney. So you know. It is important for, for I think, handlers to understand that judicial precedent and what mm-hmm. previous cases have said. If you don't understand case law, you run a pretty good risk of making some yeah, new stuff. That's right. And nobody wants to be that person. They right? don't. They don't. So, you've, you ever come close to making any? Not that I know. <laughs> well, well, you know, I've been challenged. Uh, you know, I was challenged the one time in federal court. Um, it was uh, 200 pounds I believe it was 200 pounds of marijuana and uh, on 77 South. And uh, I actually said to the individual on the side of the road, because he was saying that he didn't see my dog indicated, that my dog didn't indicate. And I said, 
I said, sir, I said, my dog doesn't false alert. Okay. I said, my dog doesn't false alert. Well, that was a big issue in court because it was audio and visually recorded. And it wasn't true. And it wasn't true. It was a misstatement. Luckily, I was able to say in open court that, look, it was basically a slip of the tongue, you know, to this individual where I meant my dog didn't false alert on his car. Okay. And I saw, I said, my dog doesn't false alert. That was an issue. They brought that up. And, you know, they asked for my training records. Um, and at the time, it wasn't kept on computers. Okay. I had everything in books. That was a long time ago. I had, yeah, probably Stone, 2007, Stone Stone tablet, 2008. Yeah. Like, like, we had computers and stuff, but I just, I, you know, I would type my stuff out and would print them out at the end of the month. I kept a little file on my computer. Okay. But then I would also go in there and print them out. And put them in a book. So I can remember the next day, they pretty much called court for the day because they wanted me to submit my training records. Brought my training records back in federal court. And I have four books of two for utilization, two for training. Or maybe one for utilization, three for training. I can't remember. I brought them in. And they were huge three-ring binders. They weren't the little bitty ones. They were big. And they were full to the gill. Set them in. Judge Voorhees was the presiding judge in federal court there in, in Statesville. And uh, um, I, I sat him down, and, and he kind of looked at him like, holy crap. But he went through them. It took several days, but he went through them and came back. The and judge said, did. The judge did and came back and basically ruled that I had documented where my dog had false alerts, okay? And he said – I haven't read a lot of canine training records through my career on challenges. He said, but if I could say training records are good and kept nice, these are good. Because they were very informative. They and you were, and you were like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And Thank so basically, Lord. yeah. So basically they said, hey, it was a Freudian slip. He didn't mean that the dog never false alerts. Because that's documented. Because it's documented. Yeah. And that's where it can come back and save you in this instant. You know, you know what I mean? And this was a big case, man. A big yeah. case. Yeah. Sw- talk about big cases, switching gears a little bit. I have a story I tell in Hunter School sometimes. And um, it's it's not detection related, but it I, I think it, it, it serves a good point on how you better write every single record mm-hmm. as if you're going to – be looking at it again in some big case you know i got called out um my first dog dual dog nart did trailing uh apprehension and i got called out it was sunday night i remember it like it was yesterday it was about 9 30 on a sunday evening to the other side of town mm-hmm. because there'd been a uh, an armed robbery at a gas station mm-hmm. and the clerk had been clerk tussled with these suspects he'd been gut shot oh, they man. didn't know what his shape was uh they called me out it had been raining like a cow pissing on a flat rock all day. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of rain right there, dumping. bud. I mean, it's absolutely been dumping rain for hours and hours and hours. I, I, I get up, put my uniform on, load this dog up, head to the other side of town, and I'm thinking to myself, Sunday night, pouring rain all day, 
my chances of finding these people, it's been 40 minutes, yeah. right, by the time I get there. My chances of finding any slim. of these suspects are, yeah, slim and none. Mm-hmm. So, you know how it goes. you got to give it the effort, right? So, mm-hmm. I get this dog out. What they did know was the suspects were last seen on the north side of that store. They were able to determine that, fled on foot, right? We had three three bad guys, faces covered during the, the robbery, whole nine yards, paramedics been in and out they've transported this victim to the the um the hospital i hook a dog up it's been 40 45 minutes later immediately goes around to that left hand side of the store we end up jumping fences we're going through backyards we're passing dogs that are chained up neighbors who are looking out their windows and out their doors (laughs) and yelling at us as what's going on and you know i end up running this trail wasn't extremely long uh it was probably an hour plus old um, but we ended up at this dead-end street, right? And and this dog gives me every indication that this trail has terminated. It's done, mm-hmm. right? Right at the end of this dead-end street. So I go back. I tell the detectives, hey, look, I got I got shit for you. I got nothing. Uh, dog stopped at the end of this dead-end street. And um, go back, and I write up this record that's pages and pages long mm-hmm. um, with nothing. Right? I got nothing. Mm-hmm. Um but again, you know, trying to put in every detail because it's pretty serious. Um, long story short, a few days later, this store clerk dies. Mm-hmm. So now we got a homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, another day or two later, the detectives make three arrests in this case. I'm thinking, man, these these dudes are on it, right? This is they're they're all, that's that's pretty good. They don't usually they don't usually end up with murder weapons and suspects that quick. Well, six months, eight months go by. And um, I get a call from the district attorney's office, and they're like, hey, we need you to come out here and talk about this murder case. I'm like, well, there's not a lot for me to talk about because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't find anything. I ran a two-mile track in the rain. And, and ended, ended up on a dead-end yeah. street is what, <laughs> with, with nothing but wet asphalt. That's what I ended up with. And um, so that was my whole perspective. And they're like, oh, they didn't tell you. Long story short, um, I end up talking to the district attorney of all people who explains to me that when I notified the detectives that the um, dog had ended on the dead end street, they end up going and canvassing the four or five houses that are at the end of the dead end street. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a bunch of nosy old ladies that live down there and they end up talking to one, right? Who's like, Oh yeah, there was a car here for a while. It seemed dark. Uh, and it was a dark-colored car. We just saw it sitting out here. But Gladys across the street, <laughs> she got the license plate for it. Oh, Gladys, Well, yes. old ladies coming in clutch every <laughs> yeah. time. Turns, turns out that was the suspect vehicle. They'd parked right down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and had the getaway car there. And had the it there. And that's how they put everything yeah. together. So, that's pretty you know, cool. I, I've got a – yeah, but the point is I've got this training record, mm-hmm. incident record, that I'm writing where I show up with nothing, I end up with nothing. But now, but a year something. and a half later, yeah, I'm having to testify to this, yeah, because that was again that bridge, yep, between that store and that dead end street. That's right. I'm having to testify to this in a homicide case, capital murder case. Mm-hmm. So you know, again, I can't stress enough how important it is that every single one of these records be written as if you're going to own it when you go to court. That's right. And At it that might point, be a you year and a half. Thought it was nothing. That's right. Well, yeah. How many times yeah. do you show up and how many times did you show up that's to right. nothing? That's right. right. Yeah. And I mean, that's a great story. That's a great point right there that how important the training records and the utilization records are. 
and yeah. can end up being. Yeah. So that's crucial. For what, everything uh, across the board, too. Yeah. Detection, patrol. Mm-hmm. Oh, it trailing, goes for everything. Everything. Yeah. And, you know, something we were talking about earlier, too, if you could touch on was, because I've had, I have seen it before, I've seen some of yours, is, you know, discovery. These federal cases, particularly when it deals with money, yep, seems like it's more with money, big money cases, than it even is with big drug cases. You know, the discovery, you know, the stuff that the defense is even asking for. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of folks would be pretty, pretty overwhelmed. Yeah, when they get that piece of paper in their hand. Well, the money, the money is a such a different beast. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with that, because <clears throat> you have to prove so much before you take it. You know, and we immediately contact the feds and we give them the details. Um, and one of the first questions they ask is, did the dog alert? Okay. And that's how important it is. Did the dog alert on the side of the road? And we're like, yeah. And they're like, okay, dog alerted. And you've got this along with this. And we're good to go. Let's, let's take that money as long as it meets the threshold. Okay. The second biggest thing is, is there some type of nexus? Okay, um, has this guy been charged with some type of narcotics violations or something that you can tie this money to? But again, the first thing they asked for is did the canine alert? Okay, um, so after that, we'll take the money down and then we'll do a lineup. We'll do a lineup with the money and we'll use the same dog. We don't use a separate dog. A lot of people will come up to you and are like, hey, uh, you, you don't use a separate dog? I'm like, no. Why would you use a separate dog? So what if you get down to the office and this dog doesn't alert, but out on the side of the road, that dog did? Like, which dog's correct? You know? So we so I, I've been asked that question. So we utilize the same canine. Then we use what's called an ion scanner. Um, there's multiple different brands. Ours is a, a GE Itemizer 3. And we see if there's any type of residual odor and we'll use, like, for example, a duffel bag that the currency came in. And we'll swab the inside of the duffel bag. Uh, that's what the courts are wanting now. Used to, we would just straight swab the money. Now they're wanting you to swab the actual product, container. The, the container that held the money, okay, to see if there's any type of residual odor associated with that. So at that point, you know, what's always best is if we get a total disclaimer. I, I don't know anything about that money. <laughs> okay, yeah, have a great day then. Uh, can I have a receipt? I need a receipt. Yeah. <laughs> can I have a receipt? <laughs> you know, of course, they don't want to die <laughs> when they get back thinking the drug trafficking organization thinks they've stolen their money or whatever, so they want that documentation. Um, and then you typically, you never hear of any type of uh, a claim. Okay, they, they have 30 days to file their claim. Uh, they'll get sent in the mail the paperwork, the proper paperwork by the feds, um, and they have a time a timeline. They they've got to get this paperwork to them. So you try to get a you know a a good working address, uh, working telephone numbers or whatever for the individual who possessed the currency, so they can send this information to them in case they want to try to claim it. Um, and then, of course, they've got their time frame of where they got to put it in. And we have had some that where they've claimed it. So in North Carolina, it, all currency seizures are handled federally. We don't have a state asset forfeiture law for currency, so to say, just currency in North Carolina. Some states do. North Carolina doesn't. Um, 
but the federal. But we, but we, but North Carolina will tax you on your drugs. They that you will possess. do that. Yeah, yeah, that's a BD four. They will do that. They now. will tax you on it. Yes, sir. They're going to get their money somehow off of it. But the we have the federal in the middle district. We go to Asheville uh, for the currency court, um, and they can be very liberal sometimes over this currency. Um, where, I mean, if you don't have those nexuses and these individuals are claiming that this was my hard-earned money through a business transaction or buying and selling cars, using cash money or whatever, and man, if you don't have that criminal history, if you don't have that canine alert, that's the first thing they ask for, or if you don't have that ion scan notification for residual odor on that trace amounts on, those, on the currency, um, then, you know, you might lose that case. You might lose that case. But out of all the times, I've only had to testify on money cases two times out of all the currency seizures. Really? Yeah, two times. Huh. Um, so a lot's changed in the industry since you've been in it? Oh, yeah. Uh, closing this thing up, what what parting words or advice would you have for those out there um, working these drug cases, working oh, these dogs? Working drugs and interdiction, which, again, I, I did that for 23 years, uh, the canine portion of it for 17 of those 23 years. And, and, I, and I have seen a lot of change. And, you know, and, I, and of course, I'm trying to stay in the game, uh, you know, uh, working around the interdiction, in, interdiction world and the canine world with conferences and teaching and stuff and still, you know, staying in contact with guys. But, you know, my, I guess my biggest thing is, um, is just stay involved. Um, no case law. Um, keep your training records and your utilization records mint. I mean, if it happened, put it in there. If it didn't happen, put it in there. You know what I mean? Like, be very, very detailed. Train your dog. When you get home at the end of the day, you can put your dog up, but on your day off, I call them shitters. Get your shitter out and walk it around the car, you know? <laughs> Set something up. Do something for the dog. Um yeah, they deserve days off just like you do, um, but they also deserve to to stay on their game. Like, you, you know, you probably go to the gym on your day off, and, you know, the dog has to do something, even if you just get it out and you throw the ball with it or whatever, whatever the dog's toy is. You know, have fun, build that, that bond with that dog, and trust your dog. Um, but, uh, but, yeah. What about you, Shana? What do you think? You're not talking a whole lot over there. <laughs> well, um, I think that. I think the biggest thing that I can tell, you know, handlers particularly that be listening to this, you know, ask for help. Yeah. Don't be afraid afraid. to ask for help. You know, go, you know, your supervisor, go vendors, you know, do your own research. There's so much stuff online. There's so many contacts that you can make, you know, Uh, you know, do the best you can to find that information. And it is out there. You just got to look for it. It's not going to fall in your lap. That's right. And, I mean, I could say to probably admin, if anybody's listening, that's, you know, over a canine unit, make sure your guys are educated before mm-hmm. they hit the road with a brand-new dog. Yeah. Because make sure Make sure you're educated. Yeah. You know, that's too. a good point. Education in the in the supervisory yeah. field with dogs yeah. is oftentimes these, pretty short. Yeah, a lot of these smaller departments and stuff, they're running, you know, maybe just one or two dogs. You yeah. know, those guys are probably the guys that I see struggle the most just with knowledge. Yeah. You know, I mean – they don't have a ton of funding. They don't have, you know, a ton of stuff, and that's fine, yeah. you know, but... You can setting, do a lot yourself. Yeah, and, you know, setting those guys up for success is 90% of it. Yeah. Buying a dog is easy, but yeah. setting them up for what they need is 
Yeah, and, and, you know, touching on that, I've seen a lot of agencies fail in their canine program yep. because they may not have the support. And I will say, Idaho County gives their guys support. They do. One of the largest canine teams in the state, you know. Um, but uh, they, they do give support to their handlers, um, you know, whatever they need, I feel like. so Allowing that training, yeah. the right equipment, like all that stuff is it's a package deal. It's not mm-hmm. just you buy a dog and you put it with a handler and put it in a car and you yeah, do and you're done. Magical yeah. things come out of the right. back, you're especially not done. when those dogs are green. Though you got to work, and you got to yeah. ask questions. Even as a green handler, you you got to work. You got to ask a lot of questions. Or even as the seasoned handler, when I switched dogs, I had to work, man. I had, I had to really figure out the difference between this first dog, this crazy Malinois, and then this lab. Who you know, it was totally different. You know, like I really had to amp her up to get her motivated you know she's just kind of there's laid a, back yeah there's a lot of handlers that go through that yeah, you know? yeah and it's frustrating but try your best not to get frustrated awesome well gary look it has been an absolute Hi, brother I absolute it. pleasure to have you on it's been it's been great to have you as our as our first guest uh on canine roll call podcast so sounds good um, let's get a school up here going Let's we'll, do something. We definitely need definitely need to keep the education moving along for uh, for this industry. We feel like that's really sort of a shortcoming. So let's set um, something. We're hoping some to, seminars. Yeah, hoping let's to, do it. Hoping to get some stuff done. We're hoping to have you on later again for uh, uh, some more information on a later episode. Sounds good. So. Hopefully, we'll have some questions and some comments come in. Even if they're bad, we'll send them. I don't care. That's Got fine. questions? <laughs> send them. Gary wants a Q and A session. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, looking forward to it. Again, be safe out there. Hi, right, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Like what you heard? Well, be sure to subscribe to us. Click that button. Also, if you have questions or great stories for another episode, reach out to us at listen at caninerollcall.com.